Good to see you all here this morning. I uh, really appreciate the worship this morning. Just um, it's very nice, just the different dynamics, the wonderful worship of lifting high the Lord our God. You say amen. And then we'll invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Turn to the final chapter, chapter 16, and turn to some of the final verses in the chapter, verses 15 and 16. And uh, just over a year ago, we began this gospel, looking at the wonderful testimony of the life of Jesus Christ. And today we finish this, the 43rd and final message of our wonderful book. I said those exact words last week because I was thinking that last week's sermon was going to be my last sermon, but the Lord had other plans. And um, there was just simply too much to go over, too much to get into. And if you remember from last week, when he hit verses 15 and 16, I, I kind of just skipped over them quickly as I, as I made a quick calculation in my mind, just said, you know what, these would be good for us to camp on this week so as to look at them. And these verses really are the core of Mark's extended ending. They are the main application to the entire book, main application to the disciples. Think about it. These men had spent three years with Jesus. They had seen some very special things. They had front row seats to all his teaching. They had witnessed all of his miracles. They saw how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and Sadducees, how gently he brought sinners unto himself. They saw him, they saw him suffer. They saw him die. They saw him rise from the dead. And and shortly we we catch it from his resurrection to his ascension. We can figure that out from the book of Acts. He's 40 days with the disciples. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Shortly he's going to leave, as Phil said, he's going to leave and send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And he had just that little opportunity. What was he going to teach? This is really the final counsel to the disciples. And we're just going to look at verse 15 and 16 this morning. Jesus said to them, verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Jesus often repeated a phrase like this or similar to this after the resurrection. This is what Mark records for us. Matthew recorded similar words. Listen to Matthew's words, the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke recorded these sayings of Jesus. He said to them, It is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of My Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And then Acts eight, when He's clothed the power on high, the disciples were... Then they were commissioned to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. John was the shortest in commissioning the disciples. He said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so send I 
you. All the Gospel writers give some kind of testimony to this final commission of Jesus. And they're all the same. They start with some kind of command or promise or statement or assurance of some type. Right? Some, some, bold, uh, um, uh, some bold declaration. And then the call to go. Matthew said, all authority has been given to me. Luke says that you've been witnesses of all these things. John said, the Father has sent me. And then each of them is a call to go. Matthew, go and make disciples of all the nations. Luke 24, repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all, gener- to all nations. John 20, verse 21, I also send you. There's a promise and then a call to go. And the promise, of course, comes in verse 16 of our text. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The promise is here for those who believe. And the promise is here for those who don't believe. And we see in verse 15 then the call to go. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. See, when Jesus came upon the earth and He lived among the disciples, it wasn't merely that His disciples would know Him and, and that he would, he would die off the face of the earth with a mere 500,000 people, whatever His scope would be of people who saw Him, who know Him. And that would be it. No, Jesus came upon the earth to be known by all nations, is what verse 15 says. And the only way that Jesus would be known by all nations is if the people that knew Him would go and tell about Him and that others would know and hear of the good news. My message this morning is really taken from this simple command in verse 15. I think it's the shortest title of a message I've ever had. It's called Go. Go. That's, that's the thrust. That's my aim is to, to go. I want to encourage all of you to... To go. It's what Jesus told the disciples to do. It's what I'm calling you to do. So in order to get there, I want to climax there. I want to first look at the statement and then look at the call. So we'll look at the statement verse in verse 16. Then we'll go backwards and look at the call here in verse 15. My first point, verse 16, belief is necessary. This is really the grounds of why it is that we go. The, the truth that grips us. The compelling reason. Jesus said, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. My first point, belief is necessary. Belief is necessary. It's necessary for what? Well, it's necessary for salvation. It's necessary to avoid condemnation. Now, if you're observant, you might look and say, Steve, but doesn't the verse say something about baptism? Isn't baptism necessary as well? Well, to that I would say this, is that we ought to be careful taking a verse that says one thing that the entirety of Scripture contradicts. And nowhere in the Bible does it teach you must be baptized to be saved. Over and over and over again, we're told it's those who believe are saved. Apart from baptism. We all know well these words. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world to say it together that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, it's faith in Jesus that gives salvation and everlasting life. And nowhere even close is there any mention in that passage, John 3.16, of baptism necessary for salvation. Salvation only comes by faith. By believing on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you know it, you can say it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. 
not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And again, even in that context, nothing close of baptism is, is even remote in that whole context of what he's saying. Salvation comes only through faith. It's just simply by, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And in fact, in that Ephesians 2 statement, Paul goes out of his way to demonstrate that there's, there's nothing we do. There's not any water that we add on our bodies that in any way saves us. He says in Ephesians 2.8, we're saved by grace. That is, the grace of God. God's work in us is why we're saved. Or Ephesians 2.9, our salvation is not as a result of works so that no one may boast. In other words, there's nothing that we might do to be saved. Not even being baptized. And Paul knew this very well in 1 Corinthians 1.17. He said this to the Corinthians, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In other words, when, when Paul was sent, he was sent not to be a baptizer of people, but rather to be a, a gospel preacher to people so they might be saved. And that's indeed what, what Paul did. He was sent by Jesus to bear his name before the Gentiles and the kings and all the sons of Israel. And so he went out, and he went out as a missionary from the church in Antioch, and he traveled to Cyprus and to Perga and Obsidian, Antioch, and Lystra, and Derbe. He brought the gospel to the regions of Galatia and Macedonia. He brought it to Thessalonica, and Berea, and Athens, and Philippi, and he planted churches in Corinth and Ephesus. He eventually ended up in Rome, longing to go to Spain. He was this massive missionary, and Paul says, God didn't send me to baptize, He sent me to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of that gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so passionate was Paul about the gospel that he especially wanted to go to people who had never heard the gospel before. Romans 15.20 I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ is already named so I would not build on another man's foundation. In other words, he had a large heart for the unsaved. His, his heart was to go to those who didn't know Jesus and bring to them the gospel of Christ. He longed for others to be saved from their sins, brought from, escaped from the fires of hell. He longed for people to, to know the joy of, 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 of knowing God and, and enjoying Jesus forever. So Paul went out and preached the gospel. From Jerusalem, as far as Illyricum, he said, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. And yet in all his preaching, he wasn't called to baptize. And if baptism was necessary for salvation, don't you think that Paul would have been about the business of baptizing people? That's not that Paul never baptized anybody. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he named specific people that he baptized. So he did baptize. It's not that he was contra-baptism. Baptism is important, but it's not necessary for salvation. So we ought not to look at Mark 16, 16 and just say, well, it speaks about one who's believed and has been baptized shall be saved. So baptism is a requirement for salvation. In fact, I don't think we just need to go to the outside of this verse and really import our ideas into it. I think we can get it right here from this verse itself. I mean, it's made clear by the second half of the verse. Look, look what it says. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. In other words, unbelief in Jesus is the only condition that condemns. And I, I'm contending that belief is what saves. Unbelief or disbelief is what Condemns. If people fail to believe in Jesus, they'll be condemned. And lack of baptism isn't even mentioned in the second half of the verse at all. In other words, a lack of baptism isn't sufficient to condemn. It's only unbelief that will condemn. The corollary must be true. Only faith saves. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He said this, 
Baptism without faith saves no one. Catch that. Baptism without faith saves no one. The text says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But whether a man be baptized or no, it asserts that he that believeth not shall be damned. So the baptism does not save the unbeliever. Nay, it does not in any degree exempt him from the common doom of the ungodly. He may have baptism or he may not have baptism, but if he believeth not, he shall in any case most surely be damned. Let him be baptized by immersion or sprinkling in his infancy or in his adult age, but if he be not led to put his trust in Jesus Christ, if he remaineth an unbeliever, then his terrible doom is promised upon him. He that believeth not shall be damned. I trust it's clear. If not, I'd be glad to engage any of you in conversation after church. We can talk about baptism. Now, having said that, though, you've got you to think about this, though. Why is baptism so closely linked with belief in this passage? I mean, why even mention baptism at all? And, and I think the key to this is understanding baptism in the early church. In the early church, those who came to faith were immediately baptized as a sign that they were believers in Christ. They made their profession of faith immediately by being dunked in the waters, whether it's a river Jordan, whether it's some other lake, whether it's whatever. Wherever they did, they made the profession of faith instantly. After Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, we, received that, we read that those who received his word were baptized, all 3,000 of them. They believed Peter. He was talking about Jesus. He is the Son of God. Pierced to the heart, repentant, and it's a sign of that, we're baptized immediately. It's not the baptism that saved. The baptism was an expression that says, I'm a follower of Christ. After Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch, they're traveling on the road of the chariot. Perhaps you remember this story, that, that they're, they're right there. And, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Because he just, he just heard Jesus. He says, yes, I believe. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip said, stop the chariot! We need to get down! And so they went down. Both of them went into the water and Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. That's a pattern of the early church. The eunuch believed and was immediately baptized. When Peter brought the gospel to the household of Cornelius, same thing. Peter preached. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening his message. They were, they're speaking his tongues, exalting God, a, a sign of faith and belief. And Peter said, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? The answer is no. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They believed they were baptized right there on the spot. In Lydia, when Lydia, the first convert in Asia, heard the gospel, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things opened by Paul. Before he left town, she was baptized. She and all her household. The same is true with the Philippian jailer. When he witnessed the faith of Paul and Silas singing while in stocks in the prison, and then when the earthquake happened, they could have escaped not escaping. He was blown away and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. He didn't say you've got to be baptized. Just believe in Christ. And, and he did. The whole, his whole household believed. And his whole household was baptized that very night. Paul and Silas were run out of town the next day. It's a pattern of the early church. When people came to faith, they were immediately baptized. It's a testimony of where they're placing their trust. They'd found forgiveness through Jesus and then through baptism. They're giving a sign 
a testimony, identification with Christ, allowing the cleansing metaphor of baptism, right, being completely submerged and washed in the water, describing how their sins have been washed away, how they've been marked, wiped clean. I think then we understand Mark 16, 16 in this way. He who has believed, and of course he'll be baptized, shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The early church knew nothing of an unbaptized believer. When you believe in Jesus, you're baptized. Now, the baptism didn't save. But the belief is what that saved. But all who believe were baptized. Now, unfortunately, it's not the case today. Many have professed faith in Christ, but have never been baptized. If that's you this morning, I, I say just let the weight of Mark 16, 16 weigh upon you. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. There's got to be some weight to that. If you say, yeah, I believe. Well, why haven't you been baptized? Rock Valley Bible Church, of course, we don't have a baptismal font. And most of you know this. Some of you are here visiting with us. You don't know this. But I'm not in a hurry to build a baptismal font at Rock Valley Bible Church. I I like the way that we do baptisms. We do them like the early church did in ponds of water. And so we go out to uh, Olson Lake, part of Rock Cut State Park where the swimming beach is. And on a given Sunday in the summertime, we take those who have believed in Christ or not been baptized and um, we take them out in the water. They give their testimony of saving faith to Christ. And then we submerge them. And it's a great time. The kids then afterwards, we enjoy a time of swimming. But it's an opportunity to do it like the early church did. Telling the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and I think that's so more, much more biblical. I think it's so much better than... Um, and I'm not, I'm not knocking churches. They have baptismal founts. But you know, rather than just kind of telling other Christians, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm in the club now, it kind of sounds secretive. This, this is like totally out in the open is what the early church was, that we are Christians and we are following Jesus. So if you want to be baptized, come and talk with me. If your questions about that, come and talk with me. This text talks about baptism. I just yearly want to press that upon all of you who haven't <clears throat> been baptized. And just know that if you haven't been baptized, it may be a sign of your lack of belief. Maybe you're not trusting in Jesus if you've not been baptized. And let the second half of verse 16 pierce your soul. He who is disbelieved shall be condemned. What, what is belief but trusting and obeying the one you believe in? And if he says be baptized, well, let's get about that business. Well, let's get back to my first point this morning. Uh, belief is necessary. I want to look again at verse 16 and, and just press upon you just, just how, how everything hangs in the balance on this verse. Every person's life is right here. Either, either there's faith or there's not faith. There's a path to life called salvation which comes by faith. There's a path to death called condemnation which comes by disbelief or unfaith or untrust. You either believe and are saved or you disbelieve and are condemned. There's, there's no middle ground. You either are or you aren't. And I'm just, this is serious stuff this morning. And from what we know of the book of Mark, from what we know of the New Testament, the only faith that saves the faith in Jesus Christ and if you don't believe in Jesus, but believe in some inner power or some different God, you don't have saving faith. 
That's not the faith that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about believe. He's talking about believing that I've raised from the dead. If you remember when he wrote these verses, this was after his resurrection. This was disciples saw him dead, saw him in the tomb, and now he's raised and talking to them. He says, do you believe? Like, like He's not talking about, right, do you believe in the stars? He's talking about, do you believe me that I was dead and have come to life again? Do you believe, according to Scriptures, that He was dead and buried? And that He was raised again, according to the Scriptures? That's the Gospel that you need to believe. That's what, that's what Peter, Jesus is calling them to. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have saving faith. You may have something you call faith. It's not saving faith. And, and throughout the, the whole rest of the New Testament, this is really clear. Jesus said, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no other way to God. It's only through Him. No one comes to the Father but through me. You want to get to God? You have to go through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It's only through Jesus. Peter said, Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. There's not salvation in Muhammad. There's not salvation in Buddha. There's not salvation in your own self-meditation. You can't save yourself. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus. It's only through faith in Jesus that we're saved. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator to that God, the man Christ Jesus. John 3.36 says it this way, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The one who believes the Son has eternal life, the one who does not obey the Son does not have life, shall not see life, but rather God's wrath abides on him. Could there be anything more important in this life and that men, women, boys, and girls come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Your standing before Christ has eternal implications. From salvation to condemnation. You will either enjoy the presence of Jesus forever. You'll endure the punishment of hell and condemnation forever. I trust that's pressed home upon you. But I want us to think now, what it, so, so what does that mean for people outside the church? What does that mean for, whatever, Joe Smith or Bill Smith, Rockford? What does that mean for Hanyang Chang in China? What does that mean for the people in Africa or Europe? Their salvation only in Jesus, what does it mean? means we need to go and tell them so they can be saved, right? That's my point too. We must go. That's what Jesus said, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. If people are really perishing without Christ, then we are compelled to go and tell them. It is our duty. It is our responsibility. It is our everlasting 
privilege to tell them of Jesus. And, and I want this morning you to, to feel the weight of that. Is that if indeed verse 16 is correct, and, and it's true not only said here, but completely true throughout the rest of the Scripture, that, that salvation comes through faith and that's only through Jesus. If that is true, people need to hear the good news. Because if people don't hear the good news of Mark 4, Mark 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. If people don't hear that good news, then they won't believe that. And if they don't believe that, then they won't be saved. And if they're not saved, they will be condemned. Now, from a human perspective, the difference between our going or not makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world if we go out into creation and preach the Gospel to them. The difference is they're, they're hearing and they're believing or they're not hearing. If they don't hear, they cannot believe. At least if they hear, they can choose not to believe and reject it. But if they're going to believe, someone needs to go and tell them. It's a matter of life and death. We must go. Suppose you worked in a laboratory studying cancer. Cure for cancer. Which we've spent umpteen millions, billions of dollars perhaps, which is right and good. Suppose after years of research, much trial and error, testing and refinement, you and your team of scientists find a cure to this wretched disease. What would you do? Well, that's just for us. Well, that's, uh, I can cure my grandmother, right? I can, I can cure my aunt because I, I got this cure. Right? We can keep it to ourselves. Is that what you do? You'd be like, I got this cure for cancer, right? First of all, you'd do that because you'd make a lot of money, right? But secondly, you, you'd want to at least have some philanthropy in your body, I think, to, to, to get this out to all those who are dying of cancer. Listen, and the same is true of the gospel. People are dying of their sins, in their sins. And we have a cure. We have the only cure. And are we just going to hold it? We're just going to keep it? And well, It's kind of nice for Rock Valley Bible Church. It's kind of nice for us, right? We're enjoying His grace. What do we need to do, right? We need to... There you go. Okay, we're enjoying His grace right now. What do we need to do? We need to extend His glory, right? The, the purpose statement why Rock Valley Bible Church exists. We exist to enjoy His grace and we do. The wonderful grace of Christ. But we exist secondly to extend His glory and that means pushing the message of His grace out. We must go. We must bring the cure to people. So short rhyme goes, life is short, death is sure, sin is the cause, and Christ is the cure. We have the cure. And my burden of my message this morning is this, we must go. I mean, this isn't an optional thing. This isn't plan B, as David Platt says. This is what we have to do. Now, we don't have the cure for cancer. We have something far better than the cure for cancer. We don't have a cure that will extend someone's life another five years or, or ten years or maybe twenty years. Maybe fifty years if they had cancer in their youth and we can solve that problem. No, we have a cure that will bring eternal healing. Longer lasting than any cancer cure will help. I'm not speaking hyperbole. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks the water that I will give shall never thirst. 
But the water that I give will become in him a water springing up to eternal life. We drink of Jesus. We, we, we won't ever thirst. Rather, we'll just have water abundant coming from within because it comes from Jesus. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Jesus gives the life that solves all dying problems. Jesus is the water that solves all thirsting problems. Jesus is the bread that solves all hunger problems. Listen, though we die, we will live forevermore. And the world needs to hear these things, that they might believe, that they might have life. And we must go. That's what the book of Romans is all about. Paul's writing to the Romans to obtain some financial help to get him on the way to go to Spain, to bring the gospel to Spain. At this point in history, I don't think the gospel ever got to Spain. Paul is saying, hey, I want to get there. It's, it's never been there before. I don't want to lay on a building another man's foundation. I, I want to get there to Spain. And so through his letter, he describes how necessary it is that he go. Those famous verses, right? Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there you might say, well, is confession necessary? Right? Well, confession is merely a manifestation of the heart. Right? Just, just confessing what you really believe, like baptism. Right? For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody, Jew, Greek, anybody calling upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where the salvation comes, right? When you believe and you're crying out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you see Jesus Christ's blood applied to your account, you will be saved. And then Paul gets into some logic. Then how will they call on Him who they've not believed? You don't, you don't cry out to God for mercy if you don't believe. And, and how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? You won't cry out to Jesus if you've never heard the name of Jesus before. And how will they hear without a, a preacher? How will they hear without someone telling them? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things, right? People need to go. People need to talk. People need to hear. People need to believe. People need to cry out. And so they're saved. The burden of my text here this morning, verse 15, is that we must go. Are you willing to go? Maybe that's where it starts. Going maybe starts with willing. Are you willing to go? You know, often when we think about going, we think about going long ways away from home. To those in faraway places. Spain, by the way, if you think about your map, was right there on the cusp of the Atlantic Ocean, that was literally for Paul the end of the world. Nobody went past Spain ever. He wanted to go to the very end of the world to preach the gospel there. To church, we focused a good deal of our missions effort at the end of the world. What, where's the end of the world? If the world is circular, where's the end of the world? Kids, help me. Opposite side of the world, right? And what's on the opposite side of the world? We know what country's there. Nepal. India, China, it's all out there. And uh, as a church, we've focused a good deal of our missions effort there. You can't get further away than Nepal. It's literally halfway around the world. 
11 hours and 45 minutes time difference. 15 minute, they're just crazy, okay? But that's, that's what they do. Literally, it's the end of the world for us. They, they need support. They're a poor nation and uh, they desperately need help. There are many children there who are orphaned and abandoned and we've supported and helped them. Many of you are supporting children there. Um, and we're, we're helping some children in India just right across the eastern border of Nepal. And we're helping to build a children's home there. And there are plenty of children to support there. These are children that have no hope. They can be on the street. They can grow up beggars, stealers, thieves. Or they can be in a home and get a good education and be leaders in the society. And, and that's what happens with these kids. And we've helped them financially build home for them. We've strengthened the church in Nepal. We've helped with building a church building in Nepal. We have helped with pastoral training in Nepal. And by your efforts... You've allowed me to go there five times and I'm thankful for that and the privilege that you have sent me to go. And Lord willing, I'll be going again in October. Darren's praying about joining me on that trip. it would be an excellent trip. And I'm thankful for the, the opportunity to be feet that brought good news of good things. But, but my Bernie, are, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? As elders, we've been praying for maybe some sort of a, a next step for an outreach plan. As you remember, we moved in this building about two years ago. And uh, we're praying for an opportunity to give us um, a witness here to this, this neighborhood, here right where the building is located. And Phil and Darren and I, we, we prayed a lot, just kind of, God, what, 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 what can we do in this, this neighborhood? <clears throat> we prayed for various ideas and the Lord guided us to host a vacation Bible school two summers ago. Gave contact with some families in the neighborhood. Eventually had some outreaches on Monday evenings that Krauss did. And um, eventually led to our kids club or after school program Tuesdays and Thursdays where a handful of kids come every week. It's been a great means to reach out to the neighborhood. These kids have come to know much about the Bible. I mean, they, before they came, they knew literally nothing about the Bible. I don't think they knew the Bible existed. They didn't know the Ten Commandments because they didn't know there were Ten Commandments. They knew, they knew literally nothing. Hardly ever been in church. Hardly ever know what that's about. And now, now they come and they're learning Bible, learning catechism, learning scripture, learning truth, and they've learned the gospel. One of my most precious memories of them recently was when um, Jeff was there. Jeff and Lynn, by the way, have had some free time and they've come and, and helped the ministry. Thank you for that. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, they've been a great help. But Jeff asked, I think the question was, what would you ask Jesus if you had anything to ask him? Do you remember when we asked that question? Maybe do that. But uh, the kids said, oh, I'd ask for a bike or I'd ask for this. But there's one little girl who said, I'd ask Jesus to show me mercy and forgive my sins. Like, wonderful, right? I mean, if you'd have known this girl two years ago, God was like the farthest thing from one night. But now she brings every day her little children's Bible and wants to read everyone a Bible story. And so we slot that in every, every day. She gets a chance to read her little Bible story to her kids so she can kind of teach them. And she's not like the oldest. It's not, she just has a heart that I think God has touched. But knowing these kids has given inroad to the parents. Some of them have been here at church. We've had most of the parents in our home. Um, I've been in some of their homes, one of their homes a lot, others just kind of at the porch, kind of looking in a little bit. I've been in their grandparents' home, just, you know, as I'm, I'm in their, their life a little bit. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with many of them, indeed most 
all of them. I've invited them to church on many occasions. I've spoken to them. I've had counseling opportunities, marriage counseling, parenting counseling opportunities. I have the opportunities to share Christ's love with them. In fact, even this week, there was a, a mom who uh, had a baby out of wedlock. None of these kids have a solid home. Um, none of them have mom and dad at home. Raised totally different. But this gal, one of the one of the moms, gave birth to a baby out of wedlock. So it was really interesting coming this December when we taught about Mary and Joseph and the Nativity. We showed the Nativity movie, you know, where Mary goes off. The Holy Spirit visits her. She goes off to spend six months with Elizabeth. She'd already been betrothed to Joseph. She comes back pregnant with child. And, he's, and then the, the reaction of the people are like, <gasps> and the kids club kids were like, what's wrong with that? They had no, there's no morality there to know what's right or wrong about that. And so we're, we're just kind of, but anyway, this gal had a baby, totally out of wedlock. I'll tell you the story sometime about how she was pregnant. She's just kind of, um, not good. But anyway, we found out about it. I said, make sure to call me. And so, when was it Friday? Yeah, Friday, we stopped by and brought her a little gift, brought her a little children's Bible and just extended Christ's love to her and uh, prayed with her. And my guess is that the only two visitors she had in the hospital was her friend here and us. I don't know about her parents. I, I, I bet it's just that. So, she's got her friend. There's another one of the kids club moms. And she got us. And we just... She's starving for friends. She needs friends. That would be great if Rock Valley Bible Church people would go and be friends with her. Has some other folks in the neighborhood who, husband, wife, married couple, whatever, they don't have any married friends. None. I mean, he's got his friends who pull him away and she's got her friends that pull her away. And we found out they didn't have any friends that were married. Ivana said, we will be your friends. Just to, just to be there, to be in their life, to help them. And I, I read the scriptures with them consistently. It's a, it's a matter really of, of going. And I know a kids club, it's three o'clock, right after school, it's difficult, but impossible for almost every man here in the congregation here. Um, practically, it's hard to get involved um, for the wives, it's hard as well. Uh, so, if I, I'm freed up, I can do that. I, I'm, I'm deeply involved. Some of you have been involved. I'm thankful for the time you've given and the impact that it has made. Um, but we've been elders. We've been praying. Okay, Kids Club is a good thing, but mostly it's been a, a thing that I've done. It's been a burden a burden on me. I mean, it's a good burden, but it's a, a lot of... But we're thinking, like, how can we engage and involve our whole body in, in some outreach as well? So that it's not just a heavy burden on a, on a few. We, we've come up with some ideas about maybe having a movie night, passing out brochures in the neighborhood and saying, hey, why don't you come for a good movie? You know, one of the, um, whatever, what's it called? Some, yeah, some courageous movie or something like that. Some um, church movie. Or I've talked about a soccer camp, having kids out there. We've got a great field, a great opportunity to do some soccer camp. Uh, we've toyed with having a, a get-to-know-you kind of dinner, like a big pig roast for the whole neighborhood. Why don't you come by and just kind of let them know who we are. Toyed with the idea of a community neighborhood garage sale. We're investigating right now maybe doing some tutoring with some of the 
some of the kids. And, and, and each of these have merits and downsides. And um, we may do some, we may not. Maybe one of these, you're like, oh, wow, I'd really like that. And you want to run with that and mobilize the church. That, that'd be wonderful. But we've been thinking and praying about uh, how can we fulfill the, the Great Commission? How can we go? We've been praying for us. We've been praying for you. How, how, might, how might we do that? And, and then I think a turning point was when Darren Weeby, he always does the meetings, he always tells us what he's been reading to, what he's been listening to, his latest podcasts, his latest blogs or whatever. And uh, he mentioned this one blog written by a, a pastor of Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. This is some kind of big, huge church. And listen to what he said. He said, at Sojourn, so picture large, thousands of people kind of church, we gather large on Sundays and small in community groups and in homes throughout the week. That's what we do. We're large on Sundays, albeit we're not thousands, okay? We're a hundred on Sunday and we are small groups throughout the week. We've got lots of different Bible studies, men's Bible studies, pick up uh, women's Bible studies, Adriana's been doing, and we've got then flock groups together, small groups. There's kind of all sorts of things that meet together throughout the week which are, are smaller. But he said this, one of our community group coaches went to visit a community group a while back and he found this tendency at work. It was a newer group at a campus that had recently launched. So this church is big, it's got multiple campuses, that's another issue for another day. But he says, the group members were eager to do something big and evangelistic. They wanted to coordinate a fall festival or cookout at the campus, inviting the neighborhood around the church to attend. And the, the coach listened, nodding, and finally interrupted. And here's what the coach said. These are all great ideas. But let me ask you, what's, what's the guy's name in the house next door? And there was a long and awkward pause, and finally the group leader spoke up and said, I'm not sure. How about across the street, the coach asked. This time the leader knew the first name, but when pressed further, he didn't know the wife's name or the kids' names or what the neighbor did for a living. The group had a big vision for reaching the lost, but they didn't even have an affection for the people living next door. The coach wisely identified something all too common for us. We're happy to put together projects and throw some big events at churches, but we're much more hesitant to befriend neighbors, share life with them, and be a witness to grace in our ordinary, everyday interactions. You know what he's talking about? And so, just as we have been praying as elders, thinking about, okay, what's maybe another big evangelistic or outreach kind of thing that we can do? This article came to mind, and I guess I'd ask you some questions. Do you know your neighbors? Can you tell me the names of all your neighbors around your house? Second question, do you pray for your neighbors? I mean, if you're going to reach out to them with the gospel, I mean, you need to know them and you pray for them. How about this? Are you engaged with your neighbors at all? Third question. Are they just kind of off there and you're just off here? Do you have any engagement with them? And fourth, are you engaging your neighbors with the gospel? See, often when we think about going, we think about some faraway place like Nepal. Oh, I'd love to go to Nepal. I'd go there in a heartbeat. Right? We get somewhere excited about that, but when confronted with our neighbor, suddenly the romance of missions dies out pretty quickly. Why? Why is it hard? 
Well, because there's something real tangible that makes it difficult. Because there's repeated contact. Because they see you and they may get to know you and see what you're like. Isn't that the difficulty with raising children? They see you like you really are. You can't hide from your kids. All your sins are like, woo, manifest all your kids. Just parents, just to let you know. All your sins, woo, right out there. Hey kids, look at how good this is. And if you don't deal with those sins, your kids are going to deal with it. How do you deal with your sins before your kids? Because if you don't deal with them, you're just going to go to church all happy. And here we do. We do the church thing, but at home we're totally different. How are you going to deal with that? Confess your sins to your kids. Say, yes, I'm a sinner. And you see it. And you know it. That's why I desperately need Jesus. And be real with them. Inside the house, outside the house, through and through. And let them know. The, the, the gospel is our hope that we're sinners and yet God has saved us. Yes, we're being transformed into this image of His Son, but we hate our sin. And that's how you're going to deal with it. But you can't hide your sinful ways. Your, your kids know your lack of faith. They know the lack of Bible reading, the lack of prayer that, that you have. And yet here, they see your lack of faith and yet you're calling them to a life of faith? How's that going to work? <clears throat> And with your neighbor, same thing. They, they're going to see your life more. And it's a little bit harder to, to be with people in the gospel day in, day out when they see you real and they see your ugly side and they see a conflict that you have over a fence line or over some kind of thing that spilled over or your children's toys that spilled over or some kind of conflict that comes. And how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to respond? You can have a permanent rip between your neighbors or you can deal with it graciously. It's hard. And there's something about speaking with your neighbor that's more difficult than just handing them literature and running. Now, I'm not opposed to reaching out to people handing out literature. Tom Wietek has far surpasses anyone I know. Uh, he's, he's out right now, right? I guess he's out with a baby. That's okay. You can talk to him. He's invited a whole church through email, right? Next Monday night, handing out tracts of Coronado. He said, a friend of mine and I are planning to do an outreach Monday, April 22nd at Coronado, downtown Rockford. There's a medium psychic television star performing. We did a similar show a couple years ago as well attended. People took tracks, engaged in a few conversations. show starts at 7.30. We should probably start around 6.30. Let me know if you're interested. And I just want to fan that flame and do that, okay? That's another thing you can do. Just hand out literature. People need to hear the Word of God. However they can get it out, just get it out, okay? But that's not the only way to reach out to those without... Christ, and in a day and age where so many people are ignorant of the gospel, many people don't even know another Christian. Many people don't even know anything about Jesus other than maybe what they turn on their TV, and you don't want that to be their only impression about what a Christ follower looks like, do you? And some of these people who are entirely ignorant about Christ are living right next door to you. They may see churches all around. They may see all these things. They may not. Oh, have they met you? And have you begun to demonstrate what it means to be a, a genuine follower of Jesus? Being real, honest, and upright, and faithful, and hardworking, and loving, and caring, and merciful, and kind. Giving gifts, extending grace, helping wherever you can. Well, this summer, here's what we're going to do. In light of this command here in verse 15 to go. 
we're just going to make some efforts here as a church to push you to say, go to your neighbors. Go to your neighbors. Okay, I've got four steps of counsel for you. First of all, do you know their names of their neighbors? Now, I don't, I don't care where you live, whether you live in a condominium, whether you live in a dorm room, an apartment, a neighborhood, or off in the country, we all have neighbors, and neighbors all have names. One of the first steps to reaching out to neighbors is to know their names. Get to know their names. I'd say start today. Get to know the names of your neighbors. Second, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your neighbors. The salvation of any soul is a divine act. And and God needs to work, right? The wind needs to blow into their lives. And so let's pray that that the Holy Spirit would blow into their lives, that God would, would so direct that He would pierce their heart. Like Lydia, right? God opened their heart to see the things of the Lord. The wind blows where it will. We don't know where it's blowing, but God, will you please blow the wind into the lives of your neighbors? And if you don't know their names, maybe a good place to start is first praying for them and praying for opportunities to find out their names. And so you can do two first and then one. But you can pray for people you don't know. Like We've been praying a lot for our neighbors who are moving. We've been praying for the new neighbors who are coming in to the house on our west, maybe. We've been praying that they might be open to the gospel. We don't know their names. God knows their names. We don't know their names. We're praying to find out what their names are in our our neighbors are moving sometimes this summer. They haven't even put up a for sale sign yet. But, but you might, might pray for an opportunity to get to know their names. It's amazing. Once you start praying for your neighbors and you see your neighbor out mowing the lawn and you don't know his name, and you've been praying that you might get a chance to know his name, you know what's going to happen? Holy Spirit's going to come in and you're going to walk over and... Hi, I'm Steve. What's your name? Oh, good to meet you. Yeah, we've been living here, whatever, eight years. It's kind of silly. I don't even know your name yet. But, hey, just wanted to let you know. Just, here's I am. Here's you are. What, you have kids? Okay, and you have a five-minute conversation. Then you leave and you go, he starts mowing the lawn again. But if you're praying, you're going to see those opportunities and kind of take those steps so as to get to know their names. Third step, engage them in some activity together. Do, do life with them. Now, this can be small. Like just having a, a family over for dinner someday, some weeknight, real short. What time do you get home from work? Oh, 6.30. Okay, how about make them over 7 and maybe they're gone by 8.30, like an hour and a half, just something over just to kind of get to know them. It can be real small like that. Or, you know, it can be big, like having a big barbecue block party where you invite all those people around you, you know, 20 families. And you, you can do something like that, inviting all your, all your all your neighbors. But I just want for you right now to even think about and talk with with your husband, your wife, families, whatever. Just start thinking as a family. And I would encourage in your family worship time to be praying what God would have us do in terms of maybe going in obedience to Mark 16, 15 next door to try to just engage our, our, our neighbors in life. Maybe you'll find needs. Maybe you'll find things you don't want. Maybe you'll find likenesses. Maybe you'll find some things to be able to do with them. I, I don't exactly know. But fourth, I want you to have a vision to share the gospel with your neighbors. They can start small with a tract or literature, conversation about church. Hey, do you go to church? Hey, you might want to come to our church. Something like that. But then at some point, the conversation needs to go beyond the surface into God's design for creation and man's sin and how Christ solved that problem and how we can be restored into Him by faith in Jesus. But those are four, four step plans, right? 
Get to know their names. And maybe you've done verse one, first one already. Pray for them. Engage them in life somehow. Have an aim and prayer and desire to share the gospel with them. Okay, so here it is. Mid-April. That time of the year, it's the coming out time. Right? Have you guys seen this? Streets have been barren for six months. Um, uh, during the winter time, right? What, what do people do? In our neighborhood, uh, this is what we do, okay? It's not our neighborhood. It's not like them doing it. So we do it, right? It's cold outside, and so we're driving along. We click the clicker, and the thing goes up, and we drive in, and then we get out of our car and click, click it down. And our neighbors, even if they were watching, would never see us, never have a chance to talk to us. But it all changes in mid-April, Right? All of a sudden, the, the, the garage door's up and people are outside tending their lawn or tending their garden or they're taking some kind of walk or they're somehow all of a sudden they're outside. Like, where do these people come from? Like, that's weird. Someone's walking down the street. Isn't that strange? But, but they all start coming out. Now is a perfect time to really say, okay, how, how can I meet them and engage them and be involved with them? In fact, we recently had our first conversation with our next door neighbor for six months. We like haven't seen them for six months, but finally they're out. Our neighbors are moving. Finally they're out and finally we get to talk to them. Hey, how you been? How, how's life been the last six months? But I know over the summer we're going to have multiple conversations with them. And I just say, as elders, leaders, we, we want to do what we can to encourage you to make efforts in your own mission field. Around your homes. Know them, pray for them, engage them in some activity, share the gospel with them. In fact, we're going to have a target week in June. Where we're going to encourage everybody that week, just say, you know what? Want this week, why don't you make some kind of effort to do something with your neighbors, and they're small or big. And then we're going to come back the next Sunday, have a testimony time that says, you know what? We've been pushing to try to reach out to neighbors and... We'll have an t- opportunity just to share how things went. How, how'd you do? What, did you have a conversation? And, and, and here's the idea, okay? If you know that 9 out of 10 people pay their taxes on time, what are you going to do? Well, if 9 out of 10 people are doing that, I'll, I'll do it, I guess. There's something about all of us need a little, a little push. Yvonne and I have talked about having our neighbors over for dinner for years. These are the neighbors that are moving. We're fine and cordial with them. And we talked about it for years. Real easy, real informal. And you know what? They beat us to it. They had us over for dinner three years ago, maybe. Four years ago. Had a delightful time. But we're like, we need to do this more often. It's easy to do. It's wonderful to do. And they're always inquisitive about the church and about Christ. And I share some things with them and it's a wonderful time. But it's just like, you know what? I, I just need a little push. And if I know what everyone else is doing it, well, I can, I can probably figure out something and try to do that week in June when we're all, we're all doing that. Or like, for instance, we have some neighbors across the street have put out some yard signs. Um, they, they go to some church. I forget what the thing was, but something about love and life or Love works. And two of our neighbors put that out. They're right across the street from us, right down here. And they didn't talk to us. We haven't talked with them. But it's like, oh, they're saying, hey, we go to church. We're Christians. But, but they just put a sign up. And I'm just saying, let's, let's do something more than a sign. Let's like go out and meet them and talk to them. And we know their name and their name. We've, I can't remember their names. But I'm not saying that we're doing it perfectly. I'm saying I need the push as well to say, let's look at our neighbors to do what we can do. All right. 
Now, having said that, I know some of your circumstances make it difficult to reach out to your neighbors. Okay, you got a home situation that doesn't work right. You've got um, some kind of illness maybe comes up. The dynamic of your neighborhood, maybe the the country life is too far. Maybe this life is too something. And, and, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, I really am. And don't feel guilty because, oh, I'm not doing this. And maybe you want to engage with someone else to do that. God knows what you can do. And let's, let's extend grace. We're not at all legalistic in this. I'm just saying, I need a little push. Maybe we all can be a push to go, according to what verse 15 says. So here's what I want to do. Um, before I close my message, I want to have Ryan come up. Ryan, where are you? Here. During Christmas time, he had a little gathering at his home and um, kind of um, had invited some neighbors and had some over. And I just like him to say what, he, what kind of efforts. So I was really encouraged by the efforts he made. And maybe this is kind of a vision of something that you might do this summer. So you want to come up, Ryan? You all come up. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. You all come up. I didn't know it was a family event, but it was a family event. So this is a, this is a wonderful thing. So <clears throat> Ryan doesn't love to talk a lot. So. Um, okay, well, I guess I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of what we did. We last Christ, or two Christmases ago, right after Christmas, we thought, oh, we should have had people over because it was Christmas time and. Everybody knows that Christmas is about God, so, well, most people do. Um, and we thought it would be a great opportunity to get to know our neighbors just in the name of Christmas, kind of gathering around the idea of Christmas and um, maybe be able to talk to them about the true meaning of Christmas. Um, but we didn't do that. So this year we were like, okay, we're going to do it. And we prayed all year about what, what we should do, and we, I, we decided that we would just have our neighbors over uh, for like an open house Um, and I guess to give you an idea of our neighborhood I don't know some of you haven't been to our house but it's very similar to this neighborhood real small houses close together Um, so there's lots of families around us and we didn't really know many of them in fact one of our neighbors that came said that he thought we just moved in this summer and we've been there for six years so (laughs) I felt kind of bad about that Um, but anyways, we decided we wanted to do that um, and thought Christmas was a good time, even though it's cold out, just to get people together and talk about things of God. Um, just to give you an idea of how we prepared for it, well, first we prayed, and then we asked God, how many people can we fit in our house? Because <laughs> our kitchen is probably, like, maybe smaller than this stage. <laughs> I don't know. Our house is really small, so we don't want to overextend ourselves, but... We decided how many people we could fit and just invited some houses. And we didn't know how many people even lived in the house because we hadn't met many of these people. But um, we just prayed that God would not overextend our space. Um, we, went, we went door to door and invited all of the families. We only talked to two of them because everyone else was gone. But we left a little note and ended up getting two RSVPs <laughs> out of... I think 12 homes. Um, and we, of course, invited Michelle Irwin's family. They live down the street, but we included them. So, um, yeah, and then we just prayed that God would bring people and allow us to talk about him if 
that was what he wanted. So Brian wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit. So at the party, sorry, at the party, um, we had maybe um, four families show up, and uh, we had a lot of food. So because um, we had prepared for most everyone to show up, and uh, we, it's. It was an interesting time. I mean, a lot of a couple of neighbors we didn't know. Two of them we did, um, and so um, as we talked, uh, like with our neighbors, um, we some things came up, and um, we got to talk about church and uh, and stuff like and other things like that. And uh, it was just it was cozy and comfortable and. Um, but there wasn't a lot of, I would say, fruit that came from the, that came from um, uh, them coming over. But uh, it was good. I mean, we got to know them, and um, and, and we found out their, a couple of their names. And um, and then the next morning, actually, um, our, our neighbor across the street saw us getting ready for church, and he was a firefighter. He just got off of his 24-hour shift, and so he came over and said um, that they wished they would have been able to come, and so I got to meet him too, and uh, so that was nice, and um, and we wanted to be able to give them a gift uh, or something to, that they could take away from that, take away from our, like the Christmas time, because Christmas is about about gifts, and the biggest gift is Jesus, and so we we talked about what we would do, and um, we thought maybe a tract or something, but we decided on like a uh, uh, Andrew Peterson CD, which kind of has the story of the gospel embedded into the story of Christmas, and it's a really neat CD. It's one, it's like one of our favorite CDs, and so we thought um, we'd give that away. And so um, we actually got a couple of responses later from the two neighbors that we didn't know previously that said they listened to it and really enjoyed it. And um, and so some plans we have for the future moving forward. I think we want, we really want to do it again this Christmas and. Um, and also maybe do something like a cookout or something over the summer. So, well, I told Ryan I wanted him to come up here and give a testimony because not like, oh, and then someone got saved and then they're all this stuff. It's just normal. They're just working. They're just, you know, scattering seeds and plowing the ground and just trying to be real and helpful and loving and see what kind of doors God opens up. And I, I just I think if all of us are committed to that, who, who knows, right? We have 40 families at Rock Valley Bible Church and say each of us are whatever. Have contact with seven families. That's 40 times seven. I'm not sure. That's 280 families. And just think, God, I think God can do something out of 280 families, maybe just something that He would be glorified with. So... We're going to seek to do that. You know, if it works for you, it's great. If it doesn't, it doesn't, and that's that's okay. But we just, I, I need a push, and my guess is that you probably all need a push as well. We're going to close with one song, just a great song here, The Call of the Kingdom. So may God, as we sing this song, just entrust upon your heart just how He's calling you to go. Because going's not optional. you got to go someplace. And so may, may God use our efforts for His glory.